What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. Welcome to Wealth Managed. I'm Michael Finca. I'm a professor of wealth management at the American College. And I'm David Blanchett, head of retirement research at PGM an adjunct professor of wealth management at the American College of Financial Services. Today, we have an excellent guest with us again, Wade Fowle. He is the professor of retirement income at the American College of Financial Services. Wade, welcome. Well, thank you, David. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Let's talk about what makes retirees happy. What is RISA? So the RISA, it, it means smile in Spanish. And we, we checked, I was wrong. It does not mean squirrel in Japanese. That's RISU. But <laughs> RISA is the Retirement Income Style Awareness. And it's a research program I've done with Alex Marguia, where we have all these different retirement strategies. We've, we've talked about things like probability-based and safety first, but we really just don't know what type of strategy would appeal to a given person. And that's what retirement income styles are all about. What type of retirement income strategy is going to work best for your personal situation? And that's going to make you happy if you have something that resonates with your, your style. So, you know, I... Uh... It's been a decade at Morningstar, you know, as soon as I hear the word style, my mind goes in a very special place. I picture that, that three by three box, right? You know, is, is it similar? Is it different? Like, how are you thinking about that word style for mm -hmm. Risa? Yeah, well, so we kind of had that Morningstar box in mind too. We have four boxes and it's four quadrants. You've got in one direction, probability based and safety first. And this is all based on just trying to test which of these factors really seem to have an independent role to help explain someone's style. So probability based is you're comfortable relying on market growth. Like it's the whole idea of just investing in stocks and you should be fine with the risk premium. Safety first is more about contractual protections, wanting to have some sort of protection behind what you're doing, whether that means holding individual bonds to maturity or whether that means using annuities. And then the other primary factor we found we call optionality versus commitment. Optionality is just about wanting to keep your options open as much as possible. And commitment is if you find a strategy that works, you feel more comfortable just locking that in and taking that off of your to-do list and not having to worry about it as much in the future. And so the combination of those leads to four different boxes. If you're optionality focused and probability based, that's a total return investing approach. That's a systematic withdrawal 4% rule style strategy. If you are conversely commitment oriented and, and safety first, we call that income protection. And that's the essentials versus discretionary, but it's more about using simple income annuities with annuitization to really lock in that lifetime spending need and get the most possible downside protection. Then the other two boxes, they're more hybrid styles because they're not as natural and they're really behavioral strategies that have been developed to deal with less than normal type preferences in that regard. And probably normal is not the right word, but if you're optionality focused and safety first, that's time segmentation. You're getting contractual protections for short-term spending, but you're keeping as much optionality as possible. And if you're probability-based and commitment-oriented, that's the whole world of deferred annuities that we've seen develop since the 1990s, where you can add living benefits to support protected lifetime income. You still have the growth potential, you have technical liquidity for the assets, but you are committing and getting guardrails and having protection. Your spending is protected even if markets don't cooperate and you don't get that risk premium like you're hoping for. Have you surveyed retirees? Like, do they tend to end up in certain places? Like, what have you seen so far? 
So, so far we've done a study that included 1500 people from the retirement researcher community that developed a, my website, retirementresearcher.com. And now we are doing a national study for it. Hopefully later this year, we'll have some results out about that. But with our 1500 retirement researcher community members, we did find that about a third of retirees are in that total return quadrant. And that would be, again, the systematic withdrawals, total return investing strategies. About a third of retirees are in the income protection quadrant, and that's more the immediate annuity, single premiums, dias and dias, that type of flooring approach with a diversified portfolio on top. And then about a third are split between the other two strategies. So about a sixth are in the time segmentation quadrant, and about a sixth are in the risk crap quadrant, which is more about deferred annuities. Wait, I think a lot of financial planners are used to thinking about risk tolerance in terms of how much equity a retiree is willing to place in their investment portfolio. How tolerant are they to a potential loss in their investments? But risk tolerance really means something else when it comes to retirement. If your primary goal is income, what does it mean to be more risk tolerant? What does it mean to be more risk averse? Yeah, I mean, this is a really important question because the risk tolerance questionnaire that gets used, it's really an accumulation tool. It's about short-term market volatility and modern portfolio theory style, just risk return trade-offs on a, an assets-only investment portfolio. It changes in retirement. And that's one of the things we tested with the RISA. What we found was the four concerns you may have for your retirement are your essential spending, longevity needs, your lifestyle, the more diversified spending, legacy goals, and liquidity for unexpected expenses. And we found that that traditional risk tolerance questionnaire type of approach, it could help explain lifestyle and your concerns about your overall lifestyle but it didn't really help to explain your essential spending, your legacy, or your liquidity needs. And that's where a more comprehensive framework that looked at the needs for retirement more specifically and directly, we were better able to match to understanding all four of these retirement concerns in a way that a risk tolerance questionnaire, it's just, it's not equipped to handle retirement. I mean, going deeper, risk tolerance in retirement is being willing to adjust your spending in, in response to any sort of longevity risk or market volatility or spending shock. And you're just not really picking that up very well with a traditional risk tolerance questionnaire. So wait, are our advisors, can they use this currently? Like what is the roll-up in so far? We've been working on this RISA process for the past couple of years. And yeah, we've got all the research out there about it. We've developed a tool for advisors and it is available at risaprofile.com. So yeah, if any advisors are interested in learning more, we, we have this tool available. So is it like an online experience, like gamification, like all these all these different pictures or like questions? How do you perceive kind of distilling down someone into these respective quadrants? Well, we started with about 800 questions and then like the retirement research community was very helpful with giving suggestions and then seeing which questions matter. We narrowed it down to 300 questions. We've done some further refinements and now we can basically get the, the RISA profile. There's all kinds of things you can add to it as well. But if you want just to know where you stand in those four quadrants, we've got it down to 12 questions and it scales about like select from these different options about how strong you feel regarding your preferences for like relying on market growth versus contractual protections and just going through the, the different types of factors and distinguishing where you fall in the spectrum for each factor. 
So basically, risk means spending flexibility. It means that you're willing to spend more or you're willing to spend less in retirement. That aspect of retirement planning, I think, is not one that we talk a whole lot about. That if you put together a plan that involves a lot of investment risk, then you and your client better be willing to adjust your lifestyle if you get unlucky. You've talked a lot about sequence of return risk, how much the returns at the very beginning of retirement matter in terms of your ability to maintain a lifestyle for 20 or 30 or 35 years in retirement. If you get unlucky, that's the consequence. So you better be willing to accept the consequences. And I think what you're trying to do then is really find a way for advisors to better match the strategy that their clients want with the investment and product strategy that they provide them. Yeah. And, and risk tolerance, it's asset allocation, but it's also like spending. And the more aggressively you spend or the more aggressively you invest, the more likely you are to have to make cuts later on and how you feel about that. But I mean, ultimately this RISA, the retirement income style awareness, we don't really view it as a risk tolerance questionnaire. It's really more about figuring out your style. It's more like a personality test in terms of how do you prefer to source your essential retirement expenses in retirement? Do you prefer from a total return portfolio or a, a bucketed or time segmented portfolio or an annuity? And that really goes beyond just the risk tolerance question because it, it's, it goes beyond just market volatility. It's just more, how do you feel comfortable sourcing your retirement income? And it doesn't have to be only an investment portfolio. And that's where with so much of the thought around risk tolerance being on short-term market volatility, we really have to go outside of that. And there's still a role for a risk tolerance questionnaire because you still always have to decide on an asset allocation, but that asset allocation might ultimately only be a small part of your retirement income strategy if you're using other tools as well. And the RISA is really meant to help guide you in the direction of first choosing a general strategy, and then you can start fine tune and, and start figuring out the asset allocation with a risk tolerance questionnaire and, and so forth. But the, the bigger picture is first, what type of style what type of preference do you have for sourcing your retirement income? And not everyone's going to automatically jump to using a total return investing portfolio, which means that a risk tolerance questionnaire is not going to be the first tool they need to decide on a strategy. And that's a great place to take a break. The American College of Financial Services is dedicated to providing applied financial knowledge and education, promoting lifelong learning and advocating for ethical standards for the benefit of society. I'm George Nichols III, President and CEO, and I encourage you to listen and subscribe to this and other college podcasts as we continue to expand our horizons in this digital landscape. Remember, no matter what, we are always stronger together. Visit theamericancollege.edu to learn how you can be part of the change we're building. Get best-in-class preparation for your exam with our CFP Certification Education Program. Start your journey toward this valued designation at theamericancollege.edu slash CFP. We're here with Wade Fowl. Let's continue our conversation where we left off. Wade, you know, since we're in the nest here just talking among the three of us and no one else is listening, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I've never been a huge fan of, of risk tolerance questionnaires. I just think that 
you know, they don't always do a great job of capturing someone's perception of risk, their preferences and all that, but they're widely utilized in the industry, I think, for a key reason that gives advisors uh, something to point to, to say, hey, this is why I, you know, put a client in this portfolio. Along those same lines, I'm not even talking about the efficacy of, of RISA. I think that there's a very valuable role for it to play in the industry to give advisors a process to select a given strategy. I mean, you know, do you agree or disagree with my take on RTQs? And then what, what are your thoughts? Is this is kind of like a segue to help advisors make better choices about guaranteed income and annuities? Right. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I almost feel like I planned the question with you, though. I assure everyone I didn't. But, but right. I mean, the risk tolerance questionnaire, it plays that role in compliance to document, here's why I'm putting the client in the portfolio and why it, it's suitable for them. And I, I think the RISA process really plays an equivalent role, but in a broader question of, am I going to talk to this client about a strategy that includes an annuity? Or am I going to talk to this client about a strategy that doesn't include an annuity? And how can I document that that's the right conversation to have? And the answer is if they, they take the assessment and they're shown to be a total return strategy person, then they don't need an annuity as part of their plan. It's just not part of their style. And so I can document I'm making the right decision to not offer the annuity there. But conversely, if they're shown to be an income protection person, and we see from working through a financial plan that they have a gap in their reliable income, they don't have sufficient assets to meet their core spending needs throughout retirement. Well, then I can offer an annuity and be more comfortable knowing that there was a validated approach behind that that was suggesting that that will meet that individual style and preferences and be something that they're going to resonate with and be comfortable with. And therefore it can be a good decision for them. This is Chris, one of the producers of the podcast. Wade, this sounds like an, a really great evolution in thinking about how advisors can help their clients. Why hasn't this happened before? Is it just your brilliance that kind of said, oh, we better do this now? Is there other stuff like it out there? There's not really anything else like it out there, but I think financial services tends to be so siloed. And so if you're a total returns advisor, you tend to believe that that's the best strategy and everyone should be using it. So you don't need something like Teresa. And then the same can be said for any of the four quadrants. Like if you think a particular strategy is the best, then that's what you're going to be suggesting everyone use. Just from a more academic background, coming at this more from the perspective of there can be multiple viable strategies. And so therefore being able to understand what matches someone's style. I think that's maybe the key towards being able to think about this in a different manner and to not just push for one strategy above the others. Does this come from a more of a best interest philosophy then? I think it does. It's about trying to find what's best for an individual. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, absolutely in that regard. But I mean, ultimately it was I get so many questions from, from consumers and readers or different people. And the answer is always, it depends like what, with whatever they're asking, Be, like if they're asking if they should buy an annuity or if they should hold 80% stocks in their retirement, it's hard to answer that without knowing more about the person. And ultimately you need to know their whole financial situation, but what the RISA has been able to do is put a terminology around it. And so now people are saying to me, I took the RISA, my RISA profiles, income protection, should I consider an annuity? And with being able to have that as part of the conversation, it's easier to get beyond the it depends answer. It's still, it depends, but at least there's more of a context for, for talking about it at that point. Wait, this is the question I think everybody wants to know. What's your plan in retirement? What are you going to do? 
first of all, what is your approach? What is your attitude? Are you a risk avoider? What is your personality? What's it going to look like? Yes. So my RISA profile is risk wrap, which means the deferred annuity (laughs) as a core part of meeting protected lifetime income needs. Now, yeah, we get, you know, we, we work together a lot and we get this question a lot about like, do we own annuities or things? And Many of the deferred annuities with living benefits require you to be 45 years old. So David and I are still both disqualified at this point. So I can't own an annuity yet, but I'm definitely it's on my horizon and 45 may really still be too young, but definitely I'm thinking about as part of building a retirement income plan, wanting the market gains, wanting to have participation in the stock market, believing in the risk premium but also wanting to have guardrails around that. And so some sort of variable annuity that allows me to invest for upside, but still provides protections on the downside so that I can feel more comfortable saying, okay, I'm financially independent because I don't have to worry. Even if the market goes down 50%, I know my worst case scenario for what my retirement spending can be. That's a risk wrap approach. And that's what makes me comfortable. And, And conversely, you know, like a time segmentation approach, that's relying more on this idea that, you're okay investing in stocks because you know you've got bonds to cover your short-term expenses. And, and that doesn't resonate with me at a personal level. I mean, it's a valid strategy and time segmentation or buckets is a valid strategy. But that's, I said once, because someone asked me about how I advocate for time segmentation. And I said, no, at a personal level, that's my least favorite of the, the four strategies. I'm really risk wrap and total return income protection and then time segmentation. But that's just my personal preference. And I, I don't try to put that on anyone else. I think everyone's different and what works best for you is the best way for you to approach things. David, what are you going to do? I don't know. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I know that, that I plan on converting a significant sum of my wealth into guaranteed income when I retire. I don't want to have to worry about it. I don't want my wife to worry about it. But I mean, as Wade said, I've got probably 20 years at least until I retire. I actually don't ever plan on completely retiring. I'll just go bored and go crazy. So for me, retirement likely means something along the lines of doing something else. What that is, I don't really know. But I mean, I I do believe in the value of guaranteed income, just if only it gives me the freedom to spend without worrying about it. So I plan on kind of ticking those boxes off more as I approach retirement. But at this point, I think I'm kind of more focused on accumulation than decumulation. And, And Michael, how about you? Do you know what kind of retirement strategy most appeals to you? Um, you know, I think in a way I'm kind of with David that I can't imagine fully retiring. I think that we probably are going to have to redefine what it means to retire in the future. You know, I plan on a phased retirement, but I also am a believer in not having to worry about where my income is coming from. So I'm going to be delaying social security. I think that's kind of a no brainer first step of retirement income planning. I do own an annuity. So any bond-like investments that I hold in my non-qualified accounts, I put into an annuity wrapper because that's a way of getting a higher after-tax return on my bond investments. I think with my remainder of my qualified investments, you know, they're, they're sitting there in a low-cost mix of diversified assets. And at retirement, I'm going to partially annuitize that. I'm going to continue to invest in risky assets to try to get a risk premium. But I think for my main goals in retirement, it's going to be spending. And I think one of the points that you've made recently that I've also made in my research is I don't want to set up a plan that requires that I manage 
complex investments when I'm in my 90s. If I have to manage my investment portfolio in my 90s on my own, then I've made a major mistake. I want to automate, especially income later on in life. And that's one of the reasons why, as you know, I'm a big fan of longevity annuities like QLAX, because I want to make sure that that income later in life is automatic and that I don't have to do a whole lot to be able to generate it. Wait, so you like QLAX? Yes, <laughs> a little. <laughs> Wait, do you like QLAX? I do. I mean, they're not my favorite thing in the world like they are with you, but I, I think they have an important role to play. And I'm, I'm seriously thinking about, I, you've got to deal with having enough in one account with the 25% rules to, to get up to the limit. But uh, yeah, at some point when I'm able to probably have to wait until I can do some rollover somewhere. But uh, yeah, I like Qlax and would seriously consider getting one. Well, that's music to my ears, Wade. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you, guys. I'm Michael Finca. I'm David Blanchett. See you later. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services. 